You guys know we're in this uh, series called The Rooted Life, and um, finding depth in a shallow world is really the thing. And um, I want to highlight for you this little picture. Um, I want to show it to you. This is, uh, this is me proposing to Amy 32 years ago. And is it 32? Yeah. It's about 32 this month, right? Because the date was February 28th. And this was at an Oral Roberts University Chapel. It was a, that was our college that we both went to. And I was there that day. I had graduated, but I came back for a chapel service because I was singing in the chapel service. And, um, and she was there finishing her last year uh, as a senior. And we'd had, a, we'd had a, a, a bunch of turbulence in our relationship. And that's a sermon for another day. But, there, but, but this is the moment that in the middle of the service, there's about 4,000 kids, college students in the auditorium right there. That Now listen, I did this before everyone did it. Like, now it's like not cool anymore, but, but I, this was like, I, I, was a, I was a trailblazer. And so, so, so I, I got down on one knee, I gave her a little speech, and then I gave her this little ring, this little ring with a tiny little diamond on it. And I remember obsessing about that diamond. I remember like doing all the research and understanding what the cut is and the clarity and the color and the there's one more C and I don't remember it now, but just how important it was and, what, and all this stuff. And what's the, the story behind the story is I was there with some other pastors and we were, we were doing that, that um, chapel service and I was ready to ask her to marry me because her dad a few weeks earlier had called me back after I had talked to him. Great story. I asked him if I could have his daughter's hand in marriage and... Um, and he said to me, I'll pray about it. Yeah, that's great. 75 days later, he calls me. Yeah, that's what kind of family I married into. It was a good family. It was really good. So, 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 um, so he had called me and, 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 and gave me permission. So I was ready to do it, but I hadn't gotten the ring all finished. So the setting, I hadn't put the diamond in the setting. And so I just had the diamond picked out and all this stuff and I was ready, I was, I was, I was saving money, I was making, making it all work and I was so obsessed with it. I was obsessed with what it looked like and what it was gonna be because I wasn't sure and I wanted her to think it was meaningful and it was real and it was so purposeful and, 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 and I didn't have the ring with me. I decided to do this the day before, sorry, two days before. And we were already in Tulsa there, so we had the guy, I called the guy who had, I was working with on the ring, I said, just, just put it in a, a simple setting, whatever it is, and just FedEx it to me. So he overnighted it to me, I got it in the mail the morning, the morning that I was on my way to chapel and I got the ring and then I put it on her finger. And I thought, she can just pick out a new setting later, it'll be fine. Well, she never wanted to pick out another setting. She used the setting that the dude who doesn't know her, the jeweler, the diamond guy, she picks his setting. And I guess it was fine, I guess it was fine. But I thought about that thing so much, I got obsessed with it. I got so 
intertwined in the process. It was really like nerve-wracking. And sometimes I think we do this, don't we? With lots of things. And I think I was concerned about the money. I was concerned about how I was gonna make it. I was concerned whether she would, it was enough that I could make enough to make the thing happen, to buy the big enough ring, blah, 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 blah. Listen, can I confess something to you? I still wrestle with thinking about these kinds of things. Do you? If I'm really being honest, I think about money almost more than anything else. I think about how it's all gonna work. I think about how I'm gonna be okay. I'm thinking about how I'm gonna pay all the bills. I'm thinking about how I can get ahead. I'm thinking about all these things. And because here's the thing, money's connected to a lot of things. Think, think about it with me for a second. Money's connected to fun, isn't it? Right, isn't money connected to fun? Can we splurge for ice cream? Can we go on a family vacation? Can we, can we get loaded fries at Alamo Draft House? <laughs> Money's connected to provision, right? You're like, I gotta, I gotta live, I gotta have a car, I gotta have food and, and air conditioning because I live in Austin. Money's connected to safety, right? I, gotta, I wanna make sure that our cars are safe and that my kids are safe and there's all these things that we're thinking about. I gotta have money to fix the problems. Like last few weeks, all of our cars have like weirdly broken down. Like it's, it, when, you know when it rains, it pours. It just is that way. Money's connected to affection. Like did you, you know that one of the five love languages is giving. Like this, it's like gift, like, like loving to give gifts. Gift giving, doing acts of service, things like that. Well, so much of what you wanna give to somebody has to do with Money and how it works. Money is connected to success. What have I done with my life, you might be thinking. Or what have I made of myself? One of the first answers we always go to is how much is in my bank account? What's in my portfolio? And we've been talking for a few weeks about being rooted, right? What does it mean to be rooted in God and rooted in what he wants for our lives? And we used Acts 2.42, and I just want to read it here, and I want you to join me in reading it. It says, all the believers devoted themselves, everybody say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's suppers and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Now watch this, watch this. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and, what's that word? All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I want you to notice how in this day, the, the practices that they were doing, the, 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 the sense of community that was being created, the, the, the things we've been talking about over the last several weeks, the presence of God resting on a community with power. The idea of relationships that were so meaningful, community that was, that was made so nobody ever felt isolated or alone. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. Being, being consumed with the mission that Jesus gave them and understanding that God was doing something and the kingdom of God was advancing. This is what they were doing. And there was a sense of generosity and there was something that 
for, was, for some reason, their focus was not on the money. Their focus was on the mission. And I think it's, I think it's challenging for us. And so today I want to talk about uh, this area of our lives that I think creates a lot of shallowness. I want to talk about being rooted today, but I want to talk about one of the most challenging areas to be rooted, and that is our money. And so I can hear some of you thinking, oh great, the Sunday I bring my friend, you're going to talk about money. (laughs) Money is a tender subject, it's true, because it influences every area of our lives. I mean, this is, this is what it is. We all have to understand the way we see money, the way we spend money, the way we use money is really important because God is in charge of all of it. Isn't that what we believe? Do we believe that? Is he really in charge of all of it? Here's what I, wanted, here's what I want you to get today. Money matters to God. Everybody say it. Did you know that there are over 2,000 verses on money and possessions? Versus only 500 on prayer and faith. Hmm. The Bible has a lot to say about money. Here's Jesus' most famous words on the subject. Of course, you've probably heard them before if you've been around church at all. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin, can't stand those vermin, where the vermin destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. People misunderstand this verse and they tend to say it's wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. That's not accurate. Actually, it's just the opposite. Our heart always follows our treasure. Your heart is always going to gravitate towards your treasure, whatever you treasure. Matthew 6, 24, just a few verses down, he says, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Oh, Jesus is stating something here that is actually quite troubling. He's asking us to choose. He's forcing the question. He's demanding an answer. But don't, listen, listen, listen. Don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Don't miss it here. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. God doesn't need your money. He's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of ways to provide. He's got plenty of, plenty of opportunity that he can make things work in the world according to his design and his sovereignty. But the Apostle Paul challenges his young son in the faith. He's writing him a letter, writing Timothy a letter, and he he uses these words in 1 Timothy 6, 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness and contentment is great gain for what we brought nothing into the world. <laughs> you know you brought nothing in. You didn't even bring any clothes in. You had nothing. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. <laughs> Did you know that? You can't take anything with you? You know, the guy, <laughs> the guy at the funeral, how much did he leave? 
all of it. <laughs> he says, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not the problem. Our love of money is Listen to me now. Listen to me now. Money isn't a blessing from God. It's a test. Money isn't a blessing. All you got to do is look at some of the wealthiest people in the world and look at their lives. It's not necessarily a blessing. It's a test. Because here's the thing. Here's, here's, why, money, here's why money is a rival to God in our lives. Because money offers us everything God does without any moral constraints. Think about it for a second. Provision, security, confidence, influence. Money helps you get all that. The question is, do you have money or does money have you? Some of you are like, well, Pastor Ross, I don't have any money, so... That that doesn't mean money can't have you. That doesn't mean you can't be obsessed with money. Here's the thing, if God has your heart, then if God has your heart, then he might trust you with money. That's why a little further down in this First Timothy passage, the apostle Paul says in verse 17, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for what? What? God wants you to enjoy the world. He wants you to enjoy what he's given you. He says in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You guys, taking hold of the life that is truly life. There's a few things that get in the way of this. All kinds of distractions, all kinds of trinkets, trinkets, all kinds of shiny things, all kinds of things that make us nervous or worried or, or fearful or anxious. But God is trying to, he's trying to help us. He wants us to discover his life that is truly life. Here and in the next world. Look Now he says, look, he, he calls them rich in this present world. And as soon as I start talking about that, some of you are like, man, I'm not rich. Yes, you are. In the world, you and I, are in the top 1% globally just because of where we live. He says, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. It's totally uncertain. I've always been like, I'd like to try it. <laughs> no, it's uncertain. It's flimsy. It becomes shallow. And listen, this is an interesting thing. As I was preparing 
this week, I was thinking about how both the wealthy, the uber wealthy, and the extreme poor both can have tendencies for their lives to be shallow. Their, their, their lives, as a, as a poor person, you could, you could be just consumed with what you don't have, and your life can just turn into sort of a shallow thing. Or you can be really wealthy and consume everything because you have access to everything and your life becomes totally shallow. Do you see it? God wants to cut through all that. Instead, he says, put your hope in God which richly, who richly provides you with everything for our enjoyment. God is not a killjoy. <laughs> he says, do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing. Everybody say willing. Willing to share. And then he says this thing. He says this thing. Lay up, lay up treasure for what? What do you need to, what, 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 what's, what's coming? He says, the coming age. There's something coming. There's another age that's going to burst onto the scene at some point. He says, lay up treasure for the coming age. We want it now, but, but Paul's teaching that there's something you can do that makes what's coming the most important thing, the age of Jesus making the world new again, a new heaven and a new earth. In eternity, there's a, there's a future, right? A future that matters to God. That's what's ahead for each one of us. That's what the Bible teaches. And that future is at the center of the salvation story that we're all part of. That God is calling us to himself and he wants us to live with him. Real, to realize that there's more to this life than just this life. There's something beyond it too. Life becomes so shallow when we are just driven. All our energy is pushed to treasure and pleasure. And so I wanna, I wanna challenge us today and I wanna, I wanna give you an idea. We gotta find practical ways of dealing with the allure of money. We need tangible actions that keep money and possessions from owning us, from driving us, from enslaving us to work without limits, right? We just keep working, we just keep striving. We, we end up being shallow if we just keep chasing it. Keeps us in the rat race. We're consumed with accumulating more so that we, we never actually become rooted and find out what life is really all about. And so there's a simple, simple and practical thing that I believe the scripture teaches and if we look back at the, these last several weeks, we talked about belonging to a small group of people where you talk about Jesus each week. You, you have a, a, a deep sense of God's presence in your life. You have a relationships that really help you. You have a mission that you're thinking about that you're, you're, all of your life is, is moving towards. And, and, and the finance is one of the things that we, can, that we can do, we can deal with in a way that helps us Push forward in the kingdom of God. And there's a simple, practical, and concrete way the Bible teaches us to trust God with our money. It's called tithing. Tithing. <laughs> Some of you are like, tithing? What's tithing? Tithing. Um, before you tune me out, just give me a few minutes, all right? Because I want you to get this. Tithing gets us rooted in trusting God. 
tithing gets us rooted in trusting God. Here's what tithe means. Tithe means a tenth. Everybody say a tenth. It's a tenth. It's 10%. It's one in 10. It's a hundred out of a thousand, right? It's, it is a tenth. It's a percentage. And tithing is simply becoming a, I want you to get this phrase, a percentage giver. You're going to think about what you, how you live your life. You're going to think about the, the, the finances that you get, the what you work for, what you spend your time on. You're going to think about how to make sure that that, 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 that money that you have doesn't consume you, but you're going to make sure that God has a, his hand on it. And he's going to He's gonna walk with you and he's gonna, he's gonna be in it with you as you wrestle and try to, try to work and try to provide for your family and try to make sure that you have enough. It's, it's the most practical and disciplined way to honor God with our money is to give him a percentage. It means no matter what, every time you get paid, you give a percentage to God first. Now, here's what I teach my kids. And uh, I haven't always been really good at it in my life, but here's what I believe in. I believe in tithing in a way that gives 10% to God and then you save 10%. You tithe 10% and you save 10%. And you live on 80. I'm not talking about saving 10% for the couch you wanna buy that's really nice. I'm talking about saving as a way of life. And I've tried to teach my kids to save and then as you save enough to have an emergency fund, then you go on to the next goal. Oh, what's the emergency? Oh, now I need, a, I need to save enough so that if I lost my job, I wouldn't lose a bunch of stuff. So I'm gonna save a, 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 a bigger emergency fund. And once I get both of those things in place, then it sounds like Dave Ramsey, doesn't it? And then, and, then you get, and then you get further down the road and you're saving, you're just saving as a lifestyle. You're putting things away. You start investing for the future. You make sure that you're in, in putting your money to work Right, with, with, and, and, and it's best to do that when you're young because time is your friend. Everybody, this is a principle of money and it's a principle of relationships, a principle of everything. Make time your friend. Stress out, crisis, hurry up, get it done, make it happen. That's not your friend, typically. Make time your friend. Plan it, invest it, make sure that it's working. Tithing is first mentioned in the Bible. Are you guys still with me? Because I want to really, I want you to make, I want to make sure you really understand contextually what this is about. Tithing is first mentioned in the Bible when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Here it is in Genesis 14. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. It's interesting that the practice of tithing didn't come with the giving of the law. It didn't come with Moses. It was pre-law. It came way before as an act of worship and gratitude. It was not a law thing. It was a grateful thing. Here's the instructions from God to his people when he did begin to explain to, to them what his law is and how, and he, you understand the law wasn't just about rules, it was about displaying the kind of character that God has to the rest of the world. 
If you've read any of the Bible Project videos, which I highly recommend in our daily Bible reading, uh, you understand that there's a, a purpose beyond rules and regulations. God was trying to help his people understand how his character works, and, and the, he wanted them to display it to the rest of the world. But here it is, Deuteronomy 14, 22, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. Oh, that's an interesting little line. Eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. In other words, to respect him, to worship him, to revere him. Notice verse 23, this idea. Bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord God, your, your God chooses for his name to be honored and eat it there in his presence. Here's what it was. It's interesting. I hadn't seen this before, and so this is like new revelation to me. And um, the pastors and I were talking about this earlier this week as we were wrestling some of these scriptures to the ground and what was really happening here was 90%, right? 90% is for you to consume, to do whatever you want with, and 10% was to be given to God. And you would bring it to the place of worship. You bring it to that place, and then, and then he, this little verse says you would eat it there, eat some of it there. I don't think there was any way to eat the whole 10%, <laughs> but you got to eat some of it. And this is what I want you to say. This is what I want you to see. You give that 10%, but the 10% is not lost. You don't just get rid of it and flush it. They still got to eat from that 10%. And in the same way, we bring our first and best to our designated place of worship, and we don't lose it. You don't just give it away and it's gone. It's added to the storehouse. Everybody say storehouse. And the, and the offerings of others are added to it, which feeds us both. Feeds us both spiritually and physically. Because here is what tithing is really about. It is about honoring God with our first and our best. Tithing is about honoring God with giving him our first and our best. Not the least, not the least or the last, but the left, not the leftovers, not the second-rate gift, but giving him something first. Exodus 13, 1 through 2 uh, and 12 and 13 says this. It says, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. <laughs> redeem every firstborn firstborn among your sons. Now, don't leave me here. Don't, now, this is really important because once we start reading these scriptures, if there's a distance between what we experience and what they experienced and culture is different, but the principles are the same. So every time one of your livestock animals delivered its firstborn, so you've got some animals and they deliver a firstborn, you were to sacrifice it before God. Or if it was designated unclean, like a donkey, which is an, was an unclean animal, you were to redeem it 
redeem it with a clean, spotless lamb. So the firstborn was to either be sacrificed if it was clean or redeemed if it was unclean. The clean firstborn had to be sacrificed and the unclean firstborn had to be redeemed. In this scenario, God is saying your firstborn son should be redeemed by a sacrificial lamb. That's, how, that's the principle. Now check this out. Jesus was God's firstborn son and he was born clean. Jesus was born clean, no sin. He was born pure. He is called a spotless lamb in the scriptures. That's how the Bible describes him as the Lamb of God. That's how John declared it in, as he saw Jesus coming and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But every one of us, you and me, we were born unclean, weren't we? We were born into our own sinfulness and our own tendencies and we were unclean. Therefore, Jesus is the one who redeems us. He's the sacrificial lamb He's the picture. He redeems our lives. So here's, so here's what I, I said all that to get to this. Jesus is God's tithe. Jesus believes in, in this. God himself demonstrated something when he gave Jesus. He gave, he gave Jesus as a tithe God gave his first and best. It is this very practice, this idea that integrates into our lives, this understanding of tangible and material wealth, but it needs to be integrated with the supernatural, with the miraculous work of the good news of Jesus, the gospel of God coming into our world, that God gave us his first and best, and so we give him our first and best. What does John 3.16 says? God so loved the world that he gave his only son now, the American church today is not great at understanding this. They're not necessarily uh, good at giving things away. Uh, most statistics say that people who tithe make up about 10% or 20, 10 to 25%. That's the amount of people that can actually, that practice this, that choose to practice it. Um, I've read, this, I've read this, this list before, but I'm gonna read it again. Because if all Christians in America tithed, if all American Christians were to, were to practice this 10% idea, there would be an additional 165 billion, with a B, 165 billion dollars for churches to use to distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. Here's a few things the church could do with that kind of money. Here it is, ready? 25 billion could re relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion dollars could estimate, uh, could eliminate, sorry, literacy, illiteracy in countries in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. One billion dollars could, could fully fund all overseas mission work. A hundred to 110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. Tithing is an incredible plan and purpose that God has for blessing the world. It's really true. It's super practical. It's a powerful tool. 
if, if every one of us would practice tithing, there isn't a building we can't buy. There's no social problem in our city we couldn't solve. Isn't that incredible? Now, tithing is an incredible display of God's wisdom because it's a percentage. Everybody say percentage. And so, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I know people have financial challenges. I want to tell you something. Your giving at one chapel is treated as holy. I know we live in a culture where prosperity gospel pastors have gotten rich off of the message. I, no, no need to worry about that here. I promise. Uh, we live in a society that views the church as too money conscious, right? But your giving is treated as holy. We have all kinds of checks and balances in our organization that make sure that it's safe, that we're being good stewards. In fact, in fact, we're, I want to announce to you we're having a financial partners meeting on February 25th, right after each service. I want to report to you what happened last year in our finances. I'm kind of report to you what's ahead. And um, we're going to do that after each service on February 25th. So you can put that on your calendar. And we have a pretty lean ministry model, but tithing is not a transaction between you and the church. See, it's good for us to do these things. It's good for us to have checks and balances, but I, want to, I don't want you to misunderstand. Tithing is a very spiritual practice. It's something between you and God. It's, a, it's, a, it's not just a transaction between you and the church. It's an act of worship between you and God. It's something you do to honor him in everything you have. Jesus actually said to the teachers of the law, he said, you hypocrites, you, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should be you should have practiced the latter. In other words, you should have practiced tithing without neglecting the former, without neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness. You blind guide, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. That's Jesus being really pastoral that day. Here's what I want you to see. Motivation matters. Your motivation matters. Tithing is about love. It's not about law. It's not a have to, it's a want to. It's not a burden to bear, but a lifestyle to live. It's a discipline that begins to shape the rest of your life and roots you in something. It gives you depth in your spiritual life because you learn to trust God in the most difficult area of your life. Amy and me, we've never had everything we wanted, but we've always had everything we needed. And here's what I want to challenge you with and we're gonna worship. God wants to grow you in godliness. He wants to grow us all in godliness. He wants us to become more like him. And if you feel like you're, like, like I Pastor Ross, I know you're talking about this, this is great, but I just can't imagine getting to the point where I can practice this. Well, let me tell you, it's well known around here. You could ask anybody who's been around for a while. What I, what I tell you is, if you want to start this, you start with 1%. You sit down, you calculate your 1%, you give it to God. You give it in the offering. The second month, you maybe try for 2%. The third month, you try for 
The fourth month you try for 4%. Listen, by the time you get to 10 months, your finances will be completely different because you will have learned something about God and his provision and about your stewardship, but you'll also have a changed heart. It won't stick to you so much. You'll become more generous. You'll become more giving. There'll be, there'll be something because the truth is tithing is like training wheels for generosity. If you want to be a generous person, if you want God to, to bless other people through you, then start by start with tithing and let, let God work. Because here's the thing, Paul says it really clear. He says, he says, God wants you to choose what you should give. I, I'm going to read it. That's the last passage, the last scripture. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each of you should give what you have decided. Everybody say decided. Decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> this message shouldn't make you feel pressured. It should make you want to open up to God and discover his provision and his goodness. So I want you just to stand up with me and let's worship together for a few moments. And we're gonna sing. And I, while we're singing, I want you to kind of wrestle this to the ground. Where are you? What, what is God saying to you? What, is he, what does he wanna do in your life? How does he wanna influence you for his kingdom? So Lord, we just give you ourselves today. Some of us, that's all we can do. That's all we can do is just give you our hearts today. So we ask you to have your way. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to help us to be rooted. Rooted in trust, rooted in faith, rooted in generosity, rooted in who you are. You're a giver. Help us to become givers today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.